Today on this episode, we are actually gonna take a peek into the mind of a yoga teacher. I know I have found myself, and maybe you have too, just wanting to ask questions that seem silly or I'm not even sure who to ask these questions to. Um, So we sent out a form to our yoga teacher community and um, made it anonymous and you guys really showed up with some awesome questions. So we thought that on this episode today, we would talk about some of those questions and discuss it. So if you are curious to take a peek inside the mind of a fellow yoga teacher, maybe they're asking questions that you uh, didn't think to ask or maybe are too afraid to ask, uh, this episode is going to be for you. So grab your coffee, grab a comfy chair and come chat with us. Hello, sir. Happy day to you. And to you. Oh, happy day. Uh, hey, let's, this is gonna be a, I'm really excited about this conversation today. Um, as I was reading through some of the responses, anonymously, of course, so we don't know who asked these questions. I was just so excited that people did ask the questions because I think it's a lot of questions that um, we don't even know to ask sometimes, or we don't know who to ask. And I'm excited that we have a space where we can talk about them. But first, I think we should find out what's in your cup today. <laughs> All right. Well, today I, I I brought the bag in with me because um, I couldn't remember all of the words. So <laughs> this one is a natural, organic Ethiopia Sedama Shantawaini. I can't even say it. Shantawaini. I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to spell it. I'll put it in the show notes. It's not oh like you can't even order it because it's just like a local coffee. I mean, so it's not, not an affiliate not gonna, link or anything. I'm not going to lie. It sounds like you could maybe be like a traditional yoga teacher right now with that kind of language. Uh, yeah, that almost sounded like, yeah, some kind of sauna something, something. But no, it's, a, <laughs> it's an African coffee bean. from. Do you notice a difference between the different? So like that one. You, you've had like Ethiopian ones. You've had different ones from different places. Do you notice a difference? Yeah. Like I, I'm not to the level where I would taste it and go, oh, that's a South American. But oh. like you definitely, they have different flavors. And not to nerd out too much, but like the natural means that it was like dried in the sun. There are other ones where they they wash them. So they're, they're, they're processed differently and those make flavor changes. Mm. And then based on what's in the soil, where it's grown and even at the elevation it's at like some are more in like the mountains and like i don't understand why but like all that stuff affects the the flavor of the beans so it's it's really interesting nice i got some new tea and i actually got at the um little antique shop this it's like a little mini teapot it's like a single serve um and so i got some new tea that is well it says london fog on it but it's like lavender vanilla and citrus and i'm actually going to pour over ice and drink some iced tea today while we chat. So let's get into it. Okay. Where do we start? Where do we start? So as I was reading through these, uh, one of these stood out that I was like, I, this is the one I just want to start with because it just made me so happy. One of the questions that we asked on our anonymous survey, teacher survey, was um, what's an unpopular opinion that you hold? And one teacher said that your yoga space doesn't have to be set by rules. And I really, truly just love this because I do think, you know, we have to have parameters and we want each person to have a good experience, but I've worked in like very, very high end yoga places and I've taught in someone's backyard. Like I've done all of it 
everywhere. And what I know is that, especially in some of those more high-end um, studios that I've taught in, like you walk in, they tell you to, you know, leave your cell phone out and they have like, you know, they're like, shh, like little picture of somebody like, so when you walk in, it's like very, very quiet. I break this rule. Like, <laughs> like I was walking from the bathroom to the studio in the building that I'm in and I could just hear like the music was going and it was before class and it was just an uproar of women just going to town talking. And I was like, this is truly breaking a rule. My, my students will go and sit on each other's mat. Like, you know, like your mat is like holy grail. It's like, don't step on anybody's mat. And they'll have like two or three students just sitting on the mat. And for me, that is a worthy rule <laughs> to break. I love that. I do have a rule if we always end on time. <laughs> like other than that, I want my people to have a great experience, even if it means breaking a couple rules. So teacher, whoever, whoever shared that, I am on 100% agreeance and you get to set the rules in your business, not just in your studio experience, but in just in your business in general, like whose rules are we playing by anyway? Yeah. And I think there's, there needs to be this releasing of expectation when it, when it's someone else's expectation of like, this is what yoga is supposed to be. No, you get to set like you said, the rules of what yoga is for you. And you're going to attract the right people by being more yourself and creating the experience that you want to create. When you're going by someone else's rules of what you think it should be, you are going to attract the wrong people or, you know what I mean? Not, I don't want to say the wrong people. But you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you're not going to attract your ideal uh, person right. and, and you might scare some people off, but those mm -hmm. aren't your people. Like when you can just be you, and create the experience you want to create, you will attract more of the right people. And it's so freeing because you're like, you just get to be you. Like, I love, I love that so much. And I know that there are probably people who have come to my class and been like, these people are loud. They're all up in each other's space. It's hot in here. <laughs> like, and they're just like, this is not for me. And that's okay. But people can't know if it's for them if you're not just being you. And I just think it's so freeing to not feel like I have to play by somebody else's rules. Like, I just get to to just be me and offer an amazing experience for my students. So I, yeah. I just love that one. It made me so happy when I read it. And even looking at our, our YouTube channel, uh, we still get <laughs> comments <laughs> about the music selection for some, some things. And we, we've changed some things over time. So I think there, there is something to maybe listening to feedback and making adjustments mm -hmm. and other times just holding, holding firm to what experience you want to create. We had this intro that I actually recorded the music for. Like I, I made the music, I recorded the guitars, the drum, like everything. I, I recorded it, mixed it, and that it's this like rock song. You should play it on here and let us hear <laughs> I should. it. It was awesome. It's like, do, 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 and it's just like this rock. And that's kind of like, we're just a little bit more edgy. Like we're not, our, our YouTube channel and like the kind of yoga that we do is just not typical. Mm -hmm. And we're just a little bit more kind of edgy, a little bit more high energy. Roll. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we, you know, I made this cool intro and like, there was this one time where Kristen was like clapping. Cause I used to have him clap, um, before I had a clapper, a fancy clapper that helps me like sync the video with the audio and whatnot. So I had Kristen do that once. And like, so then I would, that kind of became a thing. I would have him clap twice and it would match the beat of the thing. And I don't know. I just made it like a cool intro but it wasn't like, this is the music we're practicing yoga to. It was just an intro for YouTube. Intro, yeah. But we still get a lot of stuff like, I just can't do the music. Or like, oh, I just, I just can't relax with that music. <laughs> I'm like, dude, it's the beginning. Like you're not even doing yoga yet. 
Well, and one thing we didn't consider though, is that at the end of your practice, that maybe the next video would start playing. So you're like trying to enjoy your Savasana. And if you didn't get up and hit pause, then it's going to autoplay like, you know, so, so I think feedback is great. And actually, I think one of our questions has to do with feedback, but I think, um, I heard someone the other day say, feedback, I only take it when it's given to me from trusted people who truly want me to do and be better or a high volume of people that I can't ignore. So at least I'll look at it, you know? And so I thought that was really good because I don't want to change that part of who we are, but can we adjust it to make it, you know, in its appropriate containers? (laughs) I agree with that. Um, But even there can be truth, even if it's not a high volume thing, like there can be truth in what some people are saying, even when it's hard to hear. And even if you disagree with it, yeah, uh, just something to note. To look at. Yeah. Cause there's so many things that we can't see about ourselves. I had a thought this morning that I was thinking about someone else and I'm like, but I wonder if I do the same thing. And I started truly examining, like, do I do the same thing? Is that why it's kind of like a prickle for me? And it's just something I kind of was sitting with in my quiet time this morning. So we all have blind spots for sure, but feedback is a gift, right? We always say that. Yep. All right. Let's dig into some of these questions. All right. So I've got one I'm going to read and then and then have you answer. Okay. So this question, uh, I'll just read it. I have about 30 to 40 participants in my classes, a wide range of abilities. Many of them think they're doing the asanas correctly when in reality, they're just going through the motions and straining the wrong parts of the body. She teaches with a headset mic and does her best to cue, but she finds herself having to decide how much to cue without getting too detailed. Um, and also, you know, like when to exhale and inhale and like, she's right. Like you can't do all of it. You can't just talk the the whole time and to make matters just a bit more interesting. It's a multi-ethnic group and they're not all confident in English. So some of them just watch and don't pay attention to her cues anyway. What would you say to that? How do you, how do you, one, how do you balance how much you cue and then two with them kind of ignoring what you say anyway? Like how would you address those two things? Yeah, I think it's two separate things. First of all, I think it's really, really awesome that you have such a high, diverse, like uh, multi-ethnic class. That's amazing that God is using what you're doing uh, just to reach even outside of boundaries of language. So cool. So I think it is a little bit two-part. I think I understand what you're saying. Like how do like I want everyone to be safe, but I think that's also on the leader to make sure that they are leading their people to know how to examine what's happening in their body. So I tell people all the time, if you work too hard in here, that's on you. Like I I truly tell my students that. I am not on your mat forcing you to do this, but what I am doing is teaching them. This is good pain. When you feel fire in your muscles, you feel shaking, you feel, you know, just that increased heartbeat. Like this is good tension. This is making us better and stronger. We're going to hold it and we're going to breathe through it. If you feel stabbing, sharp, shooting pain, this is your body's request to stop doing what you're doing. So you're teaching that student how to examine what's happening in them and know how to move through that. And of course, as the leader, you're giving them various options. So if you're going into pigeon pose here, you can come into this full expression of pigeon pose. I'm going to show it to you. If that's not for you today, I'm going to show you a different variation. Listen to your body first. Listen to me second. A little bit hard to do whenever people don't speak the same language. So I think if I were in that position, just kind of off the top of my head, I think what I would do is probably just like um, if a person is hearing, a person is hearing impaired, they're going to have a sign language 
someone, you know, um, translating. Well, as a yoga teacher, we can't have someone translating the whole time, but I do wonder if you could find someone who is very fluent bilingually that can understand you, or I mean, I guess just somebody who speaks your language is what matters and put them in a specific spot. And that's who they watch for cues, someone who's comfortable in their practice, someone who uh, knows the variations and things like that. And then maybe find someone who is bilingual to help you communicate that with them. But I don't know. I, I think that's personally like off the top of my head. I think that's what I would do is have like a body like in the front. Like you watch this person and they're going to show you several different ways to get into things. But honestly and truthfully, like even people who do understand and speak the same language, sometimes they just watch what you're doing and they're not listening to what you're saying at all. Some of that just takes time getting comfortable getting off your mat because when you look when they look up and you're not there, they have to rely on their sense of hearing to get them to the next pose. So I think some of that, you know, can come any way. So I don't know. Those are my thoughts. Give me a couple examples. What are some pretty typical poses that you see people doing incorrectly? So down dog, my students have gotten really, really good because down dog is one of my very first poses that we hit and I stay there for a solid 10, 15 breaths and really set them up. No matter how long they've been practicing, I really, really set them up. But I notice a lot of new students tend to be in like a plank down dog. And I'm like, you're going to burn out. Like down dog is a very transitional posture in my in my classes. Like you're going to be holding plank for 50% of the class if you're not careful. So making sure that they're not putting too much weight in their wrist. So down dog is one. Hidgen, like I mentioned earlier, is another one where people, I feel like there are so many variations. You don't have to do all of it. But sometimes it's hard to uh, say, okay, but you can throw a block here, you can throw a pillow here, you can do that. If you're in like a flow class or if you, you know, you do have language barriers and things like that. I'm trying to think of another one that I see people do what I would be considered like unsafe. So like I try not to say right or wrong in my class. Like I try to say safe and unsafe and teach people to kind of trust what's happening inside of them. I work with a lot of high performers, like very, very athletic people. And I have to really remind them that this is not a marathon. This is not your, you know, you're not sprinting. We're not going hard at CrossFit. Like this is, this is different. And I really have to work with them to, to examine even in them what is happening in their body and when to pull back from that. So I don't know if that quite answers the question, but I think yeah. finding those poses that people are doing um, commonly, um, unsafely, then I think you can kind of workshop it a little bit until they get it. Chaturanga is another one. If you're in a vinyasa flow practice, that's another one where people are just dropping their hips to the ground, like they're swaying their low back, they're chicken winging their arms out, and they're craning their neck. Um, when I see, I would say, more than two or three people doing this, I'll actually workshop it because my strong students – they're there for the power. So like they don't mind doing them over and over and over. And I'll even walk in and just kind of pin their elbows to their side or tell them, drop to your knees. You're going to get more out of this if you just drop to your knees. Like it's okay to stop your class and say, hey, we're, hey, we're going to workshop this vinyasa practice real quick. That is your, you know, your plank to chaturanga to up dog or cobra to down dog. And we're going to do it about 10 times and I'm going to give you different options and you're going to find the one that works for your body today. So being okay with just pausing your class and doing a little few minutes of workshop because then you're giving them the power and the education they need to move through their practice. Yeah. So I think to summarize, it would be trying to cue, and I've heard you guys say this a lot, where like you actually just talk through what you're feeling in your body. So when mm -hmm. you're you're getting into down dog, let's say that's the one where people are, they don't have their weight in the right spots or putting too much strain in the shoulders, whatever, that you just kind of talk through those things 
as far as figuring out like how much is too much. Just talk through like you might be feeling tension here or this like you might be feeling this or that. And then mm-hmm. if if that doesn't seem to be helping or there might be times you need to get off the mat and go and actually put hands on people and help get them into the right spot. And I would say even for the ones where the language is an issue, that's exactly what what I would recommend is you need to get off your mat and go to those people and put your hands on them to help them get into the right spots. Like they may not speak English or understand a lot, but they will understand when you start kind of helping them get into a safer alignment. Yeah. And even if they understand just a little bit of English, when you're right there in their face, not in their face, but you know what I mean? You're right there giving them individual attention, then they will list, they will be listening and hopefully understand what you're saying. Yeah. Cause they know what you mean when you, you know, tuck their head and you kind of lengthen their spine. Like they, we know what that feels like. So yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yoga teacher, Nick, I have a question for you. We were talking about feedback earlier, kind of just in conversation. And one of the questions that came in for us was, how do you balance wanting feedback versus feeling like your class was exactly what others needed? Like, how can you seek feedback, but not be overly critical of yourself? I think I have the tendency, along with other instructors, to tear apart my classes to the extreme at times and leave feeling like it was all crap. That's a good question. And I it's think it's a good question for you because, <laughs> because you have a very, it's a great thing, but a critical mind, you're a critical thinker. Yeah. And I think first to say we are all our worst critics mm. and we, so we can be the harshest on ourselves and just pick up everything apart. So sometimes we need to hear the feedback that it was good or that, that it was fine. And that, that can help relieve some of that pressure or those feelings of like, I'm not good enough or what I did sucks. But other times, maybe you need to hear that feedback as much as it hurts or, you know, you don't want to hear how things weren't so great. But how can you improve unless you hear that? So if, if no one ever tells you or you never create the space for someone to share this this feedback that you talk too much <laughs> yeah. and then like you're going to chase people away eventually. Or maybe you you move too fast and they don't have a chance to get into the right positions or they didn't like the music, which music I would I say, you. yeah, you know, there, there, there are some things that are going to be more to like who you are and your personality and the experience you create and like things to just kind of note, but not change necessarily. But I yeah. think there's going to be some things that can help you improve. Um, but if you don't give people that space and that chance to do that and to talk yourself into allowing, like letting yourself hear that and, and listen to it without getting defensive, you won't improve and you're going to chase people away. Who are your target audience? Who The people you are trying to reach and intended to reach, you might chase them off because you're not improving some things that really need to be improved. First, I want to say that something you said that I really want to capitalize in is making a safe space for people to share their opinions and feedback. That doesn't mean you're going to keep them all. That doesn't mean you're going to change them all, but they do need to feel safe enough to share that. So whether that's an anonymous form or, you know, a little, like, I think even in one situation at a studio, one of our studios, we had like a little bucket of just like, share your thoughts here. You know, you'll be surprised. And the music comes up a lot. So I did want to kind of hit on that a little bit, because if you come to one of my classes, it's loud. Like it's on purpose. It is on purpose. That is part of, for one, that's part of who I am, but for two, that's part of the experience that I want to create. But I also make sure that they can hear me because what good is it? Like, this is great music. I feel good. It's hot. I love this, but I don't know what I'm doing back here because if people can't hear you, they don't feel confident on their mat. 
So making sure you have some sort of microphone system or there may be instances um, so for instance, for, for an example, when I teach, I have a, like a senior class, like it's just a group of older men and they don't hear as well. So my music not only is different, but it's not as loud, right? So like, it doesn't mean I'm changing who I am because they're a very small percentage of what I teach and where I lead, but like, I'm not going to wear the same outfit to church singing on stage that I would wear to the gym to go work out right? Like, but I'm still the same person and you still see those reflections of who I am in both instances. So there is a time to be relevant, but not changing completely who you are, just making sure that always making sure that your people can hear you and see you or someone. If you're off your mat teaching, I always try to keep one of my stronger students at the front and I'll even shout from the back. Like, if you don't know what that is, look up at Becky in the front, you know, and I'll tell them like, this is Becky at the front of the class. So having those things to accommodate your preferences as well. Yeah. And so something I picked out of there too, was that there are going to be things that are stylistically you and that you shouldn't be as uh, swayed in to change. But there are some things that are more experiential that maybe you should, like you wouldn't use the same music in a power class that you would in like a slow, gentle, meditative kind of thing you would still pick the style of music for that class. So you do want to tailor it to the experience, but the style I would say is a little less open to interpretation or not, not to interpretation, to influence by others. If people are just like, I just don't like the songs you pick. Like, well, then maybe this isn't the studio for you. But if it's just like, hey, I, it was so loud, I couldn't hear what you're saying. Like that's, that's very good feedback. And now you that can do something very about feedback. that. But if it's just like, I don't like your taste in music. Like, okay, well, you're not my people. Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm not going to change. Right. Like, I'm not going to change that, you know, or if, well, if I, mean, I, I think you just, you look at it with, with a grain of salt and that there are times where like, it's valid feedback and you should probably do something about it or just, I'm going to note that and file it away and not change that. Even like with the music thing, like you and I were talking the other day, I'll find like these crazy, loud, fast, whatever songs, and I'll find the stripped down version and just play them <laughs> in my slower classes. So if you don't like my music or the the songs I choose, then uh, yeah, I mean, I just may not be. I have four other teachers that I could introduce you to. To wrap this one up, I would say create a form and it could be a piece of paper. It could be an electronic one that you email or text, whatever to, to your people, but create something that they can anonymously provide some feedback and just and lead with, you always want to make things about them and about how it can, it helps them because mm -hmm. we we all really care about ourselves, right? Like we're all kind of selfish. And when you can tailor it to like, this will help make the experience better for you, they're, they're much more likely to do it. And it's okay to ask for that. So if you lead with, I would love to make this experience even better. Uh, I'd love to improve. Would you please tell me what are some things we can do to make this even better and make your experience even better? Um, you can either have some questions that are like, you know, the specific areas, give me your feedback or just a general, like, what, what can we do to, to make this better? And just periodically send that out to your people. And then you could also just have some printed out that they could, people can just fill in, like you said, have a box or something and, and yeah. drop in. Yeah. I love usually about the end of the year, I always want to send out, uh, we call it like an alignment survey or alignment form. Just like, tell us how we're doing and how we can better serve you. Like what's working? Like, what do you love? Like, you don't want anything to change, but what do you, what also, you know, could be better. So I love that. Google forms for the win, everybody. <laughs> yeah. And they're super easy to, to set up. If you don't know, don't know how to do that, you can just Google or check YouTube. How to make a Google form is super easy. 
Another question we had was, how do you make your class worth more? And I think what they're saying essentially is, how do I make it more valuable? Like, how do I make my class more valuable and, and really feel like they're, they're getting a lot? And, and maybe to stand out from the competition, I'm filling in the blanks here, but Kristen, what are some ways that you feel like you make your classes set apart? Like, what's different? Yeah, I mean, for sure, everybody, like, they'll forget certain little details about your class. Maybe you messed up a word or you did whatever, but they will never forget the way they feel in your class. They'll never forget whether they felt safe or uncomfortable or they felt empowered, you know, to rest or to go further. Like giving them an experience, I try to engage all five senses. Like what do they smell? So I've got my diffuser going. What do they hear? I've got my music going. What do they feel? I do hands-on. What? So I try to engage all five senses when it comes to their experience. So giving them an experience that gives them a feeling and not necessarily like a memory of like – like they couldn't go home and be like, oh, I'm going to practice this again. We're going to do this flow all by myself at home. It's so little about the actual yoga. It's more about do I feel safe enough to enter into this practice? Do I feel safe enough just to rest? Do I feel an energized and, and recharged? Like I always – I tell people every class, almost every class, I hope that I leave you better than I found you today. Like that's my only goal. So whether you laid here on this mat and you sobbed your brains out like or if you, you know – if you did your first handstand and you feel like you could conquer the world, like I want to leave you better than I found you. So that's a goal of mine. So practically speaking, you know, I think just finding ways. And again, it comes back to, I find out what my people love. Like what, why are you here? What brought you here today? What, why did you show up again? And that's where like kind of that anonymous uh, or maybe not even so anonymous, but that feedback comes from is taking who I am and creating it and kind of braiding it together with what they love about the experience, right? Um, and so I think creating an experience is what makes it worth it. I had a conversation yesterday with some people who don't, they live an hour away from me. We sat at a table for, it was an entrepreneur lunch and learn situation. And she said, there are, I don't know how many yoga studios here in this town, but I'll drive an hour to go to Kristen's. And I didn't ask her in the moment, but I think I might go back and ask her why. Like, why would you drive an hour? Like, you can you can do my YouTube videos. You can find someone who's a way more technical and, like, better teacher than I am online or even in your town. Why would you drive here? So there's something that makes her say, I will pay whatever you're charging and I will drive an hour to come take an hour class with you. I tried to kind of think when I've done that before, why would I, why would I do that? And it always comes back to the experience that I had, the, the feeling that I had, the safety that I felt. So that's what it was for me. And then just on a technical level, experience, like, you know, just the longer you teach, the more you are, you're charging people for that time and that experience. And that's okay. Like you are worth it. And so I think there's some of that too. Do you engage people before or after class, like talk to them and stuff like that? Our um, classes are very vibrant <laughs> with, with with chatter. And so, yeah, I try to be there. I always get to class 15 to 20 minutes early so I can set the room. I've got the diffusers. We have some little up lightings that I can change different colors based off, you know, the theme of the class or whatever. So when they walk in, like they smell, it smells good. It's nice and dark. I prefer a dark room. Some people like practicing out like where it's bright. You know, you got natural sunlight. We don't. I darken the room 
and just kind of set the mood. And then that way when they – and I turn on the radio to something that's not on my playlist depending on the energy of the class that I'm about to teach. But then I'm available for about 10 to 15 minutes as they're coming in to just walk around. Like I'm not trying to set up while they're there and I just, hey, how was your week? Or did you practice that forearm stand? Like you were you were so close last time. Or turn the heater off if it gets too warm and it's by you, turn it off. You know, just kind of interacting with people. I try to engage or have a touch point with each person. It's not always possible depending on the situation because some people sneak in and sneak out. But um, I do. I Yeah, yes. So I think it's important to give people the opportunity to interact with you and build that relationship, build that no like trust factor, and just to feel like seen and heard. Like so many people, why, why do people come to classes? A, a lot of it is that interaction and like having a chance to talk to somebody and maybe have, you know, share an experience that you had, or maybe you need some prayer, whatever it is, like that's that's a nice touch versus just coming into a class where you're just one of many and you just come in you, you leave and like making it an experience and that that is another way i think you can make it an experience is to have that that interaction even if it's short just yeah. just th- that you would take the time to ask how your week has gone or whatever or to ask you know but you know, how, how's it coming on that that pose you're working on yeah. like that's special that is special and it does i do think that that's what sets a lot of more like boutique fitness or small, like kind of what I have versus, you know, the more industrialized fitness. It does set that apart. And I think there's a place for both. You know, if you're a busy businesswoman and just getting a quick power yoga on your lunch, like you don't have time to sit and chat. Like you just want to get in and get it done and leave, right? So there's a place for both. But that is something that I try to do and try to lead my teachers to do is make sure you make eye contact or hi, hello, give them a pat on the shoulder. Um, Because again, like people, like you said, just want to feel seen and like somebody saw me today, you know, and said hello to me. And the physical touch. So I think we mentioned it earlier to get off your mat and put your hands on people. And like that, it goes a long way. It really helps them feel like I didn't just come to class to get a workout. Like I got individual attention that helped me in my practice today. And it, it depends on your class size. Obviously, if you have 40 people, like I don't think you can put your hands on 40 people in a class, but you can you can make the rounds and, and touch a lot a lot of them, and I think that that makes a big difference. So so overall, I would say make it an experience and not just a class that will set you apart. And doing things like special pop up classes, doing a series, things that are just a little bit outside the norm of just a regular pop in class or not pop in. What's the word I'm looking for? Drop um, in. A regular drop in, right? Yeah. Like there are things you can do to make it just a little bit extra special that sets you apart from other studios, other classes, other teachers, and just being you, like letting more of the authentic, the real you come out in your class also makes a, a big difference. And someone can't duplicate that. Kristen, you could tell someone exactly what you do in a class. And we actually have content packages available. People could buy some of this series that you do where you've written out all the content, uh, the classes, everything. And it still is not going to be the same because the individual teaching is was what really makes it special. So just being you is what's going to set it apart because no one else can duplicate that. It's so huge. And it that's so refreshing to people in the filtered like Instagram world that we live in. It's so refreshing to have like personal interactions with people and see like the real them. Like something I wanted to to really quick touch on. So I, many of you may know I am a hairdresser by trade. Before I moved into the fitness industry, I was a hairdresser for about 13 years. Um, and I still kind of do a little side slinging every once in a while. But I read a statistic and I, 
I would have to go find it. But it said something like people trust their hairdressers X amount percentage, like a lot, like 50% more. I don't know. I don't remember exactly what it was. More than they trust their doctors. And when they started studying it, it was because their hairstylist is their touch, their, there's more physical touch than there is with your doctor, especially on a positive note. But if you think about it, like uh, for me, I was like, heck yeah, that's true. Like I, and you know, some of those conversations in my chair were so like some of those people became like family to me, my clients, because I saw them on a six week basis. It was like, how's so and so? What's going on? And I'm touching them the whole time, right? And again, they're leaving feeling better than when they got there. So they had an experience because everybody goes and gets the same hair license as I got. But what makes it different is what they experience in my chair. But also, I just thought that little piece you were kind of talking about physical touch, I just think is really important if you're trying to build trust with your – that's going to keep people coming back. They trust you. They're going to come back. They'll pay your prices. They'll – sign up on whatever link that they don't know how to use. Like they'll figure it out because there's something about the way you make them feel. And I think touch really is something that we need to lean more into. Yeah. I've heard other studies or references references to about physical touch and how really like people, like we were made to interact with others, to be in relation with others and to, to physically touch each other. Not in a weird, I don't mean in a weird way, but even just, you know, hugs and embraces and stuff like that's life-giving and it's it helps us feel interconnected and loved. And in this world we live in now that's so digital and so not touch, you know, it's not personal anymore. And a lot of us might, maybe we work from home and aren't around a lot of people physically. Like we can really find ourselves feeling like we're lacking in, in that area. And again, not, not in a weird way. Like we were meant to have physical relations with, with other people and when we don't have that, I feel like it can really leave us uh, miss, missing something. And there are some people, maybe they live alone. Maybe there's an, an older uh, man or woman who their family's gone or they lost someone or whatever. Maybe for whatever reason, they, they live on their own and like they just don't have a lot of that in their life. This could be one area where like they're getting their their love cup filled up um, by by some of that too. So, and it's all subconscious. It's not like people aren't walking around going like, I haven't been hugged enough today, you know, but I like- I wish someone would just tap me on the shoulder. <laughs> right, but like yeah. it's just these little it things is. that kind of add up to help you just feel better as a person. Well, and then there's this, the physiological side of it. Like it releases oxytocin, which is like your love, like your, I feel loved hormones, you know, and all of that. But absolutely, I think that that is one great way to increase the experience in your class. Real quick, friend, if you can think about how you found this podcast, someone probably told you about it or shared it on Instagram or Facebook or something like that. The only way this grows is through word of mouth. We don't run ads. We don't do sponsorships. Our only ask is that you continue to pay it forward and share this podcast with other yoga teachers. So if it was a review or if it was a post, if you would do that, it would mean the world to us and just might change someone else's life. Thanks. Now back to the show. Okay, so I've got a question here if we're talking still about kind of technical yoga teacher stuff. What do you do or what's your thought process of shifting or not shifting your class to fit the one versus the many? And this example here was, let's say you're teaching a hot power class and you have a beginner show up. What do you do, Kristen, when that happens? Do you, and what's the thought process of like, do you kind of make it easier for the beginner and everyone else suffers? Or like what, how do you go about addressing that? This is a really, really good question. First of all, like I have to remember the type of class that I'm offering and I do not cater to the minority. And I know that sounds a little bit cold and a little bit heartless, but if 90% of the people in that practice 
showed up and paid for an experience, back to that experience, they paid for a power class, I am not going to bring them to the beginner level. Now, I do believe, so I'll usually just address it at the front of the practice and say, hey, today's practice is going to be powerful. It's going to be hot. It's going to be sweaty. I'm going to get you to your edges. I'm going to, I'm going to ring you out a little bit. And if that's not for you today, no matter where you're at in your practice, please take the variations that I offer. Please take the rest. You have full freedom here on this mat to do whatever works for you. So if you work too hard, that's on you. (laughs) And I'll just give, I'll kind of put it back in their court. But I also, if I see like one or two students who are really struggling, I'm not going to slow the rest of the class down, but I will continue to remind them, hey, we're going to go through two more sun salutation Bees. If you would, if you need a rest here, this is a perfect place to hop in child's pose, rest, find your life, and then just hop back in when you're ready. You're not going to get left, right? So giving them that permission and reminding them of the freedom that they have, that's how I've addressed that. Because now if I were in a slow flow or a gentle flow and I have some of my really powerful students in there. Um, the same is true. Like, hey, if, if you've got more in your practice, I'm not going to cue it right now. So for instance, like vinyasas, if this is not a vinyasa flow, um, hey, if you've got more, you want to go further in this practice, you do not need my permission. Even though I'm not cueing it, please take what you need today. But because this is a general practice, we're going to stick with general practice. So I think just addressing it. A lot of people just need to be told what to do and what they're allowed to do. Even though we know as yoga teachers, there are no rules other than breathing and pulling back. If something is pinching, shooting, or sharp pain in your body, like that's it. Like those are the two rules. Listen to your body and breathe. Like those are my only rules in this class. I think just being honest about it and just being open about it up front and then reminding them as needed. If you see somebody really straining, like, hey, this is a great t- time to take a, take a seat, <laughs> take, take a break. No shame. Okay. So I think, Nick, this is a great question for you. One of the questions that we asked on our survey is what is something you're afraid of, whether it's rational, irrational, like what's a fear that you are constantly kind of, you know, working through? Um, And somebody said, the fear of being judged for online training. So I thought maybe you could speak into this, not only from the fear perspective, but like we do a lot of online stuff too. So let's talk about it. I could take that two ways. One, are they saying their 200-hour YTT was an online course? Are they being judged because they didn't do an in-person one? Or are they saying they're being judged? That's kind of the way that I read that. Or dealing with, and I'll, we, we can address both of them, dealing with the haters <laughs> out there that when you put your, when you put yourself online, you're going to get, you know, feedback and comments from, from mean people and crazy people. And that's, that's just a part of it. So I'm going to talk about the first one. I think that's what they were asking based on, on what they wrote, but I think no one cares. Like people aren't going to come to your class and even ask you like, where were you trained? Was it in person? It was online. Oh, I don't think that's value. I don't, I don't think that works. How can you even learn that way? <laughs> you can learn anything online, right? Like ours is online. And I, I think it's it's effective, but like no one's going to ask. Maybe if you go teach at a studio, they might ask. They want to know like, are you trained? Did you go through a 200 hour, you know, whatever. But even then, like what's more important, most of the places just care that you did a, a training and then they'll want to make sure you can teach. So you'll teach a class as like a demo or, or a, an audition and like, that's really what matters. So no one really cares where your training came from, whether it was online or in person. And if they do, then they're not your people and like find someone else, you know? 
Yeah, I definitely read it the other way. Like, so I, I read um, just being judged for being online, like training online. So assuming that maybe, or just reading between the lines, like, or maybe just answering that thought too. Like, what do you, f- because we are online, we are in front of a lot of eyeballs and people say some really mean things. So <laughs> how, what would you say to the person that's afraid to get on camera, but that's kind of their option right now, what they're wanting to do? You just have to do it scared. A couple high level thoughts are one, you're going to suck. So embrace the suck. Two, people are going to say mean things and you just have to be ready for it. And if there's a third one, it escaped my head. It'll probably come to me. <laughs> so let's just talk about that first one. In the beginning, like you, you, you can't expect to be good without sucking first. Like anything that you do, being a new teacher, learning any kind of skill, you go through this, this phase of learning and getting better. And even if you're an amazing teacher in person, when you go to do it online in front of a camera, it, it's just, it's different. And so your teaching might still be awesome, but you've got to learn new skills of like how to, how to, how to do lighting, how to do audio, how to setting up a camera and then editing and sharing. And even just like, how do you structure an online video is a little bit different. You know, it's, it's, there's just a lot of stuff to learn and you only get better at it by doing it. And in the beginning, it might not be awesome, but you just can't skip that step. There's this phase of just not being that great that you can't skip. Now you can fast forward it sometimes by getting a coach or getting someone to help you, but really it's just practice. It's time, time in front of the camera, you'll get better at it. So that, that, uh, a lot of people will, will not start because they're like, I don't know what camera to get. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. Or I'm not, I don't feel confident on camera. Like the only way you get that is by doing it. <laughs> Repetition. You know, I, I used to do uh, this martial art called Muay Thai. It was like kickboxing. And people would come in and they'd be like, oh, I, I just need to get in shape first. <laughs> you only get in shape for this by doing it. That's right. like saying like, oh, I want to I do a marathon, but I got to get in shape first. Well, yeah. duh. But you, you, like, you can't go like walk to get in shape for a marathon. Like you need to run. Well, and as yoga teachers, we should understand this because it's like our number one, like I'm not flexible. I don't go to yoga. What would we tell them? You have to come to yoga to get flexible. It's a practice. And so the same would be true for anything you're learning for your business, anything, accounting, whatever, but especially for, you know, uh, this side of things, it's a whole nother world, especially for us yoga teachers. We're like, we don't know where to put this light, but it's kind of a side note, or maybe even a shameless plug. I think Nick has made some sort of like guide. Is that, am I right? Yeah, I've yeah. got this like studio setup kind of thing and it's it's not geared towards like fitness, but a lot of the principles apply. So yeah, yeah. If, if you're interested in, that you guys. in getting some training, um, you can just find me on socials or just DM us anywhere. Like it, it'll get to me because I, I monitor a lot of our socials and, and emails and stuff. But yeah, I, c- I can shoot that to you if, if you would find that helpful. But a lot of this, just this feeling of like, I, I'm just, I'm nervous to put myself out there and, and be judged. You just got to get over it and just do it anyway. The people who are going to judge you and say mean things aren't your people. And yeah, it might hurt. Like, I'm not going to pretend like someone saying like you're stupid and ugly doesn't hurt. Like some of that kind of stings. And a lot of it, you can just like, just forget it. All right. We catch a lot of hate from the non-Christian world saying that we're like stealing, we're appropriating, blah, blah, blah. You And like, they get pretty vicious about it, which I find really interesting that they're, they're supposed to be really peaceful and kind people. But a lot of them actually don't treat us that way. It's some of the other people just like tear us apart and drop F-bombs and like, holy cow, man. 
<laughs> we're not stealing anything. We're just Christians right. who do yoga, but whatever. Yoga too, yeah. Um, so you you might catch some heat, especially if if your online presence gains momentum. Like that, that's just a part of it. So you got to be ready for it. But a lot of it, like people that are going to judge you for whatever reason, aren't aren't your people. So just who cares? Just dismiss it. Well, and we do get a lot of hate from, like you said, just from other um, cultures and religions and things like that for the yoga, but we get a lot, even probably more hate from Christians. So now I am stuck in the middle saying, what am I going to do? Because these people hate me, these people hate me, but this is what I feel like God has called me to do. Um, And so I'm just going to do it. And if I feel like God is saying, I need you to stop this or whatever that is, then we'll respond to that at the time. But like people aren't, we're just not for everybody and, and that's okay. Let's do one more. This last one, I feel like kind of ties into that. And I think it's a good one to kind of end with. She said, I'm afraid my classes or what I have to share will fall on deaf ears. I'm afraid that I'll pour out something heartfelt and vulnerable and it won't mean anything or worse will be taken in a hurtful or not helpful way. I didn't know that I had this fear prior to becoming a yoga teacher and sharing more of my life with students, but it's definitely this way in all aspects of my life. So first of all, if you are listening to this, thank you so much for the gift of your vulnerability and for sharing that because I, if I had to guess, there are other yoga teachers um, or just humans <laughs> that feel this way as well. So I have a couple thoughts that I would love to share about this. For one, like we're not in control with – like if God leads us to share and to pour out um, something that he's given us or, or to share part of our story to, to lead people to him or to see his love and his light and his redemption um, and that work that's in our life, we're not responsible for what people do with that. So we are responsible for the obedient side of that. So if you feel like God has said, hey, I want you to use this story. I want you to use this place of pain. Um, I want you to use this tool of yoga that you have. I want you to use um, this this opportunity for this community to to share your story and to remind people of healing and hope, that's your responsibility. And you do that in the way that you feel is the best way to do that. It is not our responsibility to own how that is being taken or um, what people do with that. So my suggestion to you is to continue to lean into that because the more you look that fear in the face and the more you do it and the more you share, whether you hear the stories of how impactful it was or not, for one, you're you're showing just an act of trust with God. Like, I, God, I trust you in this, even though I can't see it, I can't feel it, I don't hear people telling me anything, but I trust that what you are impressing on me to share with these people is exactly what they need or what someone needs in this room. But also, it's like just continuing to do that more and more and more is going to build a little bit of thickness around. Like, you're you're not you're not giving fear as much power. The more you do it, the more you lean into it, the fear doesn't have quite as much power. I think we're all afraid to share our vulnerabilities, right? Like I'm an Enneagram 8. I'm allergic to vulnerability. (laughs) So I understand exactly what you're saying, um, especially when it's like kind of real time, right? You're inviting people into this really raw space. But my suggestion would would be just to trust God in that. Continue to say yes to what what you feel like he's inviting you to share with the people that you've been called to lead and to love in the season and allow, allow him to do the work that only he can do. Right. We need to do an episode on fear because we could talk a a whole episode on that, actually multiple episodes, but you have to stop letting fear drive the car. So maybe now you need to drive the car and fears in like the front seat and they're like trying to turn the radio and you like slap their hands. No fear. Like fear is with you. 
fear won't go away. Fear is, is with you, but it's not driving the car. It, stop letting it drive the car. Eventually, maybe you get it in the back seat, and it's just a backseat driver and you're like, ah, be quiet, fear. Put it in the trunk. And, and yeah, eventually let's get that sucker in the trunk. Like, <laughs> but it's still kind of with you. And every now and then it'll like poke its head through the little seat that folds down and be like, hello. And you're like, fear, stop it. Yeah. But you're, you're letting things that aren't even happening. It's not even real. And I'm not saying that the feeling isn't real. That Hear me on that. But I'm saying you're fearing an event that hasn't even happened. But by focusing on that, one, you're either going to not do the thing you're supposed to do because of something that hasn't happened. Or you're going to manifest the thing you're afraid of because you're just focusing so intently on that. You're going to cause it to happen. Like, was it called self-fulfilling prophecy? Yeah, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And yeah. just even in, in a real world application, I'm a mountain biker. And sometimes you're riding on some pretty sketchy terrain. The bike's going to go where you look. So if mm-hmm. you look at where you don't want to go, and this you're a motorcycle driver, mm-hmm. whatever, like it's the I same thing on a motorcycle. You have to look where you want the bike to go because it's going to follow what, what you're looking at. And so if you get scared and you're on an edge and you're looking at the edge, you're going to drift towards the edge. If you see a tree, like you're going to drift towards the tree. It happens yeah. in golf when there's, I'm not a golfer, but like I've played I'm golf. When there's water there, like the ball and you're, you're focusing on it, that's where the ball goes. Like what you focus on is what you get. So you need to shift into what could happen if you do this. Forget about the what, what could happen in the bad way. Let's look at what could happen. What could God do through you if you do this? What are the, the lives that could be changed? You're going to pour out your heart and affect people's lives in a positive way, in a great way. You could change people's lives. They need what, what is in you. They need that. God has placed yes. this stuff in you to, to affect people, to help people, and you're robbing them of that blessing by keeping it to yourself. That's so good. I mean, I understand, like I, like you said, the feeling is valid, but the fear is a liar. (laughs) The fear really is a liar and it's not going away. Like if we think that we can just ever not be afraid, like it doesn't go away. But like Nick said, like put it in the trunk and then make space for the people who can remind you of, you know, who you are and remind, like go, go back to that episode we did about really surrounding yourself with people who can speak life into you and challenge you and sharpen you because now they have room in the seat. Like I like the vision of the car. Like now they, they're, you know, they have room to be in the seats where fear might normally take up. So I love that. Yeah. So check out episode two, uh, that we did on, on community, um, for, for more information on that one, man, this was good stuff. I love that. I hope we have more like this. You guys, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I want to ask a question or I want to share my thoughts, uh, hit us up. We'll send you that link and we're just going to let it keep growing. And we'll every so often do some episodes like this where people are just asking the questions that nobody wants to ask, right? Or nobody wants to discuss or we don't want to share. Like we're really afraid to do this thing. Um, this is a safe space. This is an anxiety-free zone, right? It's a space where you guys can come just as you are with the questions, the fears, all of it. And we'll, we want to talk through it, address it. And if we don't know the answer, we'll tell you we don't know the answer or we'll find someone who does. So thank you so much for being here and for sharing your time with us. We always want to know how this episode impacted you. If maybe just one little nugget stood out to you, shoot us a message. Let us know like, hey, this really meant a lot to me and what you're going to do with it. We want to see Uh, this knowledge or this information put into action. It's always helpful when you share these episodes with your friends. Make sure you are subscribed because we are on a roll this year to drop some new episodes this year. So listen, we're so grateful that you took time to share this space with us and we wouldn't be here without you. We would just be talking to a microphone to nobody. So thank you. 
so much for being here and we will catch you later.